0: which is uh, what Jesus uh, told us was most important to God, that we each addressing it from a different angle. Uh, We're really excited to hear from each one of them. I think they're gonna bring things that are really gonna challenge and inspire you. Um, Jess, come and speak to us. Let's welcome Jess.
1: It was the early noughties. Christian rap had reached its pinnacle. (laughs) Bands like The Band With No Name, or TBWNN for you diehard fans, and The Tribe were taking Christian festivals by storm. It was during one of these festivals where eight-year-old Jess experienced worship personally for the first time. I can remember mostly the feeling of, wow, this is something bigger than the music. Looking around, I could see and feel that I'd walked into something far bigger than myself. It was tangibly powerful. It was something not of this world. It was something that the people around me were engaging with wholeheartedly. I'd approached God and I knew it. This is the start of a journey for me in worshipping God. I'd seen what it looked like when worshippers came to adore God. When we talk about worship, it's a very big term and it encompasses so many aspects of our lives. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to look at our worship together on a Sunday. Worshipping God is a call on our lives and it is a command. The Bible constantly reminds us to the importance of singing praises to God. So how should we worship in light of the greatest command that Jesus gives us in Matthew 22? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is how we are to worship God. Worship requires the entirety of you, your heart and emotions, your mind and thoughts, and your soul and your spiritual being. He wants all of you to worship all of him on first glance this command from jesus i think it might sound quite easy you go mind soul heart done okay i'm there but actually i think we rarely feel like we get this right we feel the reality of the spirit being willing and the flesh being weak all the time we feel the tension of putting off our old selves that has died with christ and living as new creations in the moving into the likeness of christ These tensions feel like our hearts being overwhelmed with emotions, our minds being full of things that aren't God, and our souls being downcast and heavy because of sin. We'll experience these tensions until Jesus returns or we return to him, so we need to learn how to worship God fully in the midst of them. So it is a good thing that we have a whole book of the Bible that directs us in how to do this. When we read the Psalms, they don't always make for comfortable reading. Um, And I think that's because the tensions of the heart, mind, and soul are fully on display for us to see. Yet, they are fully heartfelt outpourings of praise that glorify God. So let's look at how the psalmists worship God with all of their heart, all of their mind, and all of their soul through these tensions. So we're going to begin with the heart. The tension of focusing on our emotions versus focusing on God. When it comes to Sunday, you can feel all over the place. I know I can. You know the days I'm talking about where your week has not been a good one. You're fed up. You're stuck. Your emotions feel entirely consuming and overwhelming. Joy, peace, strength, love just seem impossible at that moment. When we are overwhelmed, feeling at our worst, the greatest command reminds us where we need to keep our focus. Love the Lord your God. Worship the Lord your God. We have a choice in these moments when we come to worship. We have to make a purposeful decision to look to God. We see this in Psalm 102. In verse 4 to 5, the psalmist cries out, My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress I groan aloud. But yet, in verse 12 and 13, they shift their focus unto God. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. We are able to fully worship God when we change our perspective to look at God and not at ourselves. Simply recalling our problems before God isn't worship, recalling his character in the midst of them is. God doesn't ask us to come to him with a false heart he doesn't want us to pretend that everything is fine God sees the conditions of our hearts and one of the most amazing mysteries of worship is that it's not just a one-way exchange God meets with us and holds our hearts in his hand and he reshapes them God is the focus our hearts need because he is the one and only eternal constant he does not change like me his affections do not falter he is the same faithful God yesterday, today, and forever. It even says that in this psalm. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. I've never solved any of my own problems by looking more at myself. because I know this because I've tried. Um, but I do know that my heart has been stilled. My striving has ceased. My sights and my heart have been realigned with my father when I've lifted him above how I am feeling. God is exalted when our energies are directed to one end, and that is being satisfied in who he is. This is what great worship songs do. They look at God. They don't dwell on human thoughts um, or how God might or should make me feel. They point us to Christ. When you sing, take hold of the words being sung, because when you magnify God and you write them on your heart, who he is, what he has done, and what he is like, your heart is changed by his spirit. Very similar to the heart is the mind, um, and mind is the most prevalent place in which spiritual battles are waged. We have so many things in life that are fighting for our headspace, and the world and the enemy are constantly contending for the ground in your mind. When we worship, we return to and repeat to ourselves the truth of God. We fill our minds and our mouths with the knowledge of who he is, his eternal words, and his eternal promises. Worship is a place and a time to correct the lies that take us away from God. Um, In Psalm 119, in all of its 176 verse entirety, it is a worship song pouring over the beauty of God's word and the strength that comes from knowing it. An example from verse 160 and 171 to 2 says, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word. We demolish lies of the world and the enemy when we lift, when we lift God up in worship, when we fill our mind with his truth and meditate on it. I find that the tunes and lines of worship songs are something I can easily keep in my head and I sing them over myself as I go about my life, and I really encourage you to do the same. They lodge their way into my brain, and that's a a glorious thing. In our worship times, if a song or a line from something sticks out to you and it feels really timely, repeat it over and over again to your mind. If a lyric stands out and it reminds you of a Bible verse, look up the Bible verse. Just like read it. Have your Bibles near when you worship God. Engage your mind with the truth of the songs. When we sing, our minds should not be passive. Let the truth of our worship to God overflow into your mind. Let it speak more loudly. Let it rule more constantly. And let, let us find increasing delight in his word filling our minds. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? This is a very famous line from Psalm 42, and I loved it when Dan brought it just in worship there. It's partially famous because it's so dramatic, um, but I feel it's more famous. Can we have the next slide, please, Jason, um, because it resonates with us so profoundly. The thing that causes our souls to be downcast is sin. Sin has always been a barrier to God. It can feel so true when we come to worship that we couldn't possibly worship with baggage and sin. When we come to worship, we can feel entirely unworthy to know God and we can feel like we don't deserve to be in his presence. Just before these verses that are up there in Psalm 40, David says in verse 12, for troubles without number surround me. My sin have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails within me. God knows, the, not God knows, David knows the feeling of being in the mud and mire of sin. He knows what it's like for sin to overtake him. What does he do? He says, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly. Lord, come to help me. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy may the lord think of me you are my help and my deliverer you are my god do not delay he relies on and trusts in the grace of god he looks to god and in him he finds his deliverer he finds his saving power and the help that he needs and he worships in return we have a deliverer we have a saving power we have a, save, a wonderful helpier, a helper who has said that he has been blessed to save us, Jesus. In worship, we must not forget that grace abounds. We come as we are and we are lavished in grace. Jesus is where we meet God and Jesus is how we meet with God. There is nothing about our worship that isn't defined or affected by what he has done. Jesus has assured us, that nothing can separate us from his love. God makes our imperfect offerings of worship perfect through his son. The fact that we repeat the story of Calvary, the victory it has achieved once and for all, and the inexhaustible mercy of Jesus in our songs is so that our souls can be uplifted, refreshed, and strengthened by the grace of God. We need to sing it because we need to know it. We need the world to know it, and we need it to change us. Just whilst I was worshipping, I actually felt like the point of needing healing in the soul was really relevant to someone. And I just got a picture, which I'm just going to share very briefly. In our flat, we have some floorboards, and they're cracking. And I've taped them up with some really pathetic tape. And I felt like God was saying that there's some people here who've been a Christian for a long time, and they're just used to the cracks in the floorboard, and they they just tape over it. And God, Jesus was like, I've come up to rip up the floor and give you something strong to stand on, and that is my grace. So... I'd love to pray with you, if that's you, or we have an amazing prayer team. Um, never let sin stand in your way of worshipping God. There's no depths to his grace. Worship God all the more because he has new mercies for you every day and every moment. What a joy that we can know the goodness of God right now, right here. What grace that Jesus has made a way for us to enter wholeheartedly into his presence. What a beautiful promise that we can draw near to God and he will draw near to us. What provision that we can know and experience the refreshing power and love of God every single day when we worship him in spirit and in truth. When you come to worship God, bring your imperfect heart, bring your cluttered mind, bring your troubled soul and give your all to him in thanks and adoration for his grace and faithfulness. Amen.
0: That's so great, so helpful. Thank you, Jess. Right, let's welcome Tim. He's coming up next to speak to us.
2: Hello, good evening. Um, Some of you might know who I am. For those of you who don't, my name is Tim. I've been a member here at King's for about 10 years, nearly 10 years, Uh, married to Louise. We've got three little kids, um, Charlotte, Nora and Maddie. And um, aside from uh, parenting, which is a great joy and a great privilege, um, I also have the great joy and privilege of uh, leading a company called Brightcare. And I particularly enjoy, and I find a great sense of purpose and fulfillment in helping our staff to find their God-given talents and outwork them in our organization. So we're talking about the greatest commands today. I've got, uh, a favourite business speaker and author, a man called Stephen Covey, you might have heard of him. He talks a lot about the importance in life and business, how vital it is for both individuals and organisations to figure out their reason for why they get out of bed in the morning. What is their driving purpose? What is their main thing? And he's credited with a quote which states, the main thing is to keep the main thing The main thing. The main thing is the thing that should fuel us, it should motivate us. It's what keeps us engaged and interested in life. It provides with a driving purpose and fulfillment. For some, it might be hobbies, interests, careers, relationships, maybe some sort of life project or pursuit. But for Christians, there is only one healthy core driver. There's only one main thing that matters. In these verses in Matthew... Jesus, under hostile questioning, manages to articulate so excellently the main thing, the the thing that should encapsulate everything, the thing that brings purpose to life. And he is, he's being, effectively being asked, what is the main thing? What is the most important thing? And with clarity, he asserts, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It speaks of the sense that the driving purpose of our life is about giving everything that we are back to him, everything that we have, everything that he has, in every way in which he has created us, we lay out on the table and say, this is entirely yours. You are enough, you are everything, Um, you are all that I need. Um, And it's only from this foundation, this main thing, that other stuff in life can find its meaning. So how can we ensure that we keep the main thing the main thing? Romans 12, verse 1, this is the message. uh, Translation, it says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, it just speaks of taking your ordinary stuff, your ordinary everyday world and, con- and, and somehow converting it into an overflow of worship and thanks um, to your creator, a daily expression of your love for him. So I tried to give some thought to what this sort of maybe looks or feels like for me in my life and I kind of, I suppose they're sort of, they're practical considerations so um, so I've kind of, four areas that I just wanted to quick, quickly touch on. So first of all, our attitude to work. And when we're talking about work, of course, you know, <clears throat> I'm not just talking about the nine to five. I'm talking about anything, any project in our life that we are engaged in and committed to. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work is a blessing. There's no greater fulfillment to be found in the workplace than when you can position yourself to give joyfully of every gift and talent that God has given you for the blessing and the betterment of the organization or the the task at hand. Um, Certainly for me, in my uh, daily role, the overflow of God's love for me and, 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 and that outpouring of love for other people is to be found in fighting every day for the organization, fighting for the people in the organization, that they can uh, reach their highest possible good, to use that ability that God has given me every day and to apply it and constantly give it back to him in worship. And I think God gives us all a unique ability Everyone has something special, something which is just theirs, something hardwired in us. And uh, <clears throat> to be able to find that and harness that and give it back to him in our, in our working lives is something very special. So work hard, work cheerfully, give everything of yourself into your place of work. We should be all in at work, we should put all of our might behind our work. <clears throat> um, our attitude around our possessions... Our stuff, we have lots of stuff, don't we? Stuff that, that we don't need and is meaningless, ultimately. But the life of giving is a life of adventure. One of the clearest examples in the Bible around the correct heart attitude to our possessions is to be found in uh, Acts 4, uh, 32 to 36. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and so... Uh, my is not very good, so <laughs> there's, a, there's a blotch right here. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 34 goes on to say, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought, them the, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Consider yourself only a guardian or a steward of anything that you have. Consider yourself a a pipe rather than a reservoir. Just be be a, be a free giver. Let s- things and possessions and um, and uh, l- l- let it flow through you. Don't hoard stuff. We come into the world with nothing. We leave with nothing. It's all His. We should never be precious about our things. Someone once told me, and I think there's wisdom in it. It's okay to have some stuff, provided that you're always prepared to give it away or you're prepared to have it taken away. So give freely for his glory. What about our attitudes towards time? Time is one of those things that's quite trendy to pretend that we don't have very much of it. <laughs> but of course, we always have time for stuff that we love and that we care about. Um, <clears throat> everyone, see, people seem to have plenty of time for watching back-to-back box sets on netflix but ask them to uh, get up at 4:30 in the morning for a 2-hour prayer meeting seven days a week and everyone suddenly becomes very busy myself included <laughs> so if we love god we must be free and giving with our time but we manage it well i think for me a key principle around the area of time management is about letting love for others be the driver for disciplined, intentional uh, time planning. The, the sort of the daily practical test of what items of one's schedule is a good investment. Where should, should I be placing my time here, here, or here? The question should be asked: in which of which of these schedule items allows us to best love others and see him glorified? Because this is ultimately of much greater eternal value. Romans 13:8 says, "Or no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law." For me, I tend to find that sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm not the person that spends all night in the prayer room praying and reading the Bible. It's it's a struggle with that. But if I want to give sacrificially of my time to God, then I find that a project of practical service is a very effective way for me to give sacrificially as part of my worship. Or, of course, another practical level, committing to small group on a Thursday night or going to church on a Sunday morning. That's you honoring God with your time. That's you saying to God, "You you are worth it. That's your overflow of your heart to give him your time. And then what about our attitude towards relationships and interactions with people? We should prioritize high-functioning relationships because God has made us relationship-driven people. We are wired like that. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I find that if I can surround myself with people who will fight for my highest possible good, and I will fight for them too. Call stuff out that needs to be said so that they can grow, so that I can grow. Build relationships with people who are driven by collaborative efforts rather than people who prefer solo efforts where interdependence is the glue that, that ensures everyone's back is covered. Own your failures. If you screw it up, take responsibility. And, uh, and, and I think this is, this is honoring to God, to take responsibility for our screw-ups and learn from it and do better next time. Follow through on every single commitment that you make, every single one of them, especially the ones that you wish you never made, and learn from it. Don't make that commitment next time because, because it was difficult for you to fulfill it. <clears throat> so, I think um, pursuing high quality relationships is honoring to God that that overflow of our heart wants us to um, have high functioning relationships. so to bring it back around these i suppose they 're practical thoughts they're they 're everyday thoughts, um, but without the core driver of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, these things really Don't count for anything. In Job, it says, God gives, God takes, God's name be ever blessed. And no matter what life throws at us, and life will throw us some bad stuff, sometimes some very bad stuff, but our position must hold fast. God's name be ever blessed. And at the end of the day, this is the main thing. Amen. Wonderful. Finally, let's welcome Josh. Love the Lord your God with all your heart
3: and with all your soul and with all your mind. Um, I'm going to focus on the mind. Uh, We live in a city known for great minds. If you walk around Edinburgh, you're going to see a lot of statues of famous people mainly known for their minds, right? Kind of politicians, philosophers, uh, writers, etc. All of those guys are celebrated, generally it's guys, sadly. Uh, it's, all of those guys are celebrated for their intelligence, primarily, right? That's who Edinburgh celebrates. When we look in the scriptures, you see that's not necessarily who God celebrates. Using the mind to worship God is not necessarily a matter of an intelligence, although He's not anti intellectual. He's not looking for great achievements from us, primarily. He does not give special treatment to those who are more intelligent, but he loves those who love him of all of their mind, and that's different. In Acts 4, we read that two leaders, and they're called in the passage two pillars of the church, called Peter and John are arrested for preaching Jesus, and it says that the authorities were astonished when they realised these were unschooled, ordinary men. But it says that they had been with Jesus. That's what they recognised about them. God wants us to use whatever mind he has given us, but he wants us first and foremost to get to know him, to know Jesus, to use our minds to love him in that way. Edinburgh makes statues out of the intelligent, but God makes pillars out of those who love him. What does it look like to love God like that? I've got two questions for you. Very simply, how do you feed and how do you fight with your mind? How do you feed? Um, I once accepted a challenge from a friend um, who's a friend you don't accept challenges from, um, I since discovered. um, And the challenge was this, uh, let's see who can down a pint of double cream the fastest. Um, Yeah. Um, So we both, well, I didn't do it. He did it, um, but I think I won the war because he did not seem well the next day. Um, It's just to put it in context, a pint of double cream is five days worth of your saturated fat. Yeah. When we put stuff in our bodies, it both damages us, and it makes us feel horrible. The same is true for our minds, right? If you want your mind to grow closer to Jesus, if you want to feel his presence more closely, then watch what you feed on. Because when we put in rubbish, we'll be damaged. When we put in good stuff, we'll be drawing closer to him. See, you rightly said you're mental for downing the pint of double cream. But I tell you, i put worse stuff in my mind. I'm sure we all have. I did that once and wisely, I think, decided never to do it again. But there are things that I put into my mind again and again without thinking about it. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, what you let into your mind through your senses, and it's not just about sight, will have an impact on the health of your relationship with God. So let me ask you these questions. How do you feed? What are you watching with your eyes? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you putting into your mind that you know God opposes? If you are at all convicted on any of that, let me... Pray with me the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119:37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Let's love God with all of our minds by feeding on the good rather than the bad. Secondly, how do you fight? I said at the start, I alluded to loving God with all your mind is not about winning intellectual battles. It's about winning spiritual battles. In two Corinthians ten five, Paul tells Christians to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think sometimes we do that a bit tamely. I think we, we take that and we think, okay, I've just got to, at the end of the day, I've got to think about all the things I thought about and I've got to kind of mull them over. It's kind of a, a kind of Christian version of mindfulness. I don't think that's what he's talking about. It's far more than that. A friend of mine who's a preacher who preached in a rough part of Cardiff, I was preaching on this verse and he said this, you've got to kidnap your thoughts. You've got to grab them off the street, you've got to throw them in the back of the van, you've got to slam them on the floor and you've got to say, who are you? Where are you going? That's taking captive thoughts. Are you doing that? I want to love God with everything I am. But because my heart and my soul and my mind are weak with sin, that means I have to fight. That's normal Christian living. And I have to fight because Jesus tells me these things. He says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. These are serious battles. The people at Edinburgh built these statues out of, do you think they didn't train their minds for the things that they were doing? They didn't achieve these successes just randomly overnight. They studied and worked hard. No success for Jesus is seen publicly that isn't first won privately. And equally, no sin or failure that become public in our lives isn't a battle we first lost in private. I heard someone say this once, it's terrified me ever since. No one ever committed adultery who didn't first fantasize about it. Isn't that a terrifying thought? So where do we find the power, the strength to fight these battles? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul says that he does not even judge himself. What does he mean by that? He says he thinks that his conscience is clear, but it's not what he thinks that makes him innocent. Loving God with all of our minds, it sometimes means choosing to realise that our minds are not always totally accurate. Well, our minds are not reliable in the way that God is not. That God is. Jess was talking about His consistency. Our hope for this is God's consistency. We've come full circle. God does not get affected by bad moods or bad days. He does not give in to sinful thoughts. He never loses the battle for the mind. He does not suffer from low days or, or mental health or depression. God is consistent in the way that we are not and we can never be. And so as we try to feed our minds on goodness, and as we try to fight the battles to love him well, our comfort is this. We may fail to love him of all of our minds and our heart and our soul and our strength if you go to other verses. We may fail to do those things but God is calling us to a standard that he has already achieved. The reason he asks us to do those things is because he says be holy as I am holy. Be like me. And God has demonstrated through Jesus Christ that he loves us with all of his heart, mind, soul, strength. He has given everything for us. 1 John 4 10 says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Guys, if God does not change, then sending Jesus is not a one-off thing that he did, and now he's forgotten all about it. He's still consistently, totally in love with us. And that is the mind of Jesus for us tonight. That is what we are called to follow in this verse. to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And that is what he has done for us. His love has provided forgiveness for all of our failures to do this. And yet he calls us to go, to do it. To love him because he first loved us. If you are here tonight and you are wondering how any of this is achievable, that's the strength of it. That Jesus has demonstrated that he loves us. Know his love and love him in return. I feel like we've just kind of feasted
0: really richly, really intensely uh, from those three guys. Have blessed us so much, haven't they? I, I think it'd just be great to take a moment before God. Uh, if you're able to stand, why don't you stand and uh, let's, let's just turn our attention to Him? And I want to—I just want you to—to uh, to, uh, be led by the Spirit to uh, focus your attention on, on what God has said to you. I mean, it feels rapid fire, loads of those things hit me, but okay, which things, which thing's just sticking with you right now? We're so well served. What's the thing God's saying to you? Maybe it was something that Jess said, wasn't it helpful about, uh, we, we admit our emotions, but then we shift our focus to trusting God, and uh, we're not just to be blown around by, uh, by the wind or by the waves, we're, we're to, we set our course on God, and we worship him. Maybe you've... Maybe you feel, I just I keep feeling like I'm blowing around and that I'm a bit helpless. And, and God's saying to you, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Maybe you just need to do that right now. You confess, God, I've just been letting myself go all over the place. I, I, I want to fix my eyes on you. Help me to keep doing that. Maybe that picture she had of, the, um, of those uh, cracked floorboards that have just been taped over. And God's wanting to speak to you, his healing power right now. If you know, it just feels like you think, yeah, actually, the fundamentals of my life, they just, they just seem a bit broken. They just seem a bit messed up. And God said, I'll do a renovation job, a real complete renovation job, a, 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 a new for old. Why don't you ask him right now just to come and bring healing to your life? to Come and heal you. Maybe it was something that Tim said about giving everything to him who's given us everything we have. We're giving it all back to him. Maybe you've been thinking, this is mine, this is mine, God can have that bit, and Tim's just reminded us, it's all God's. Everything you've got, every possession, every second, it's his. Maybe even as you're thinking of getting involved in the life of the church, you're like, oh, I'm quite busy. God's saying, oh, I'd, I'd like some more of your time, or if we think about this offering for next week, you know, like, I'm a bit tight. God's saying, well, it's, it's my money. He's speaking to us about these things. or Just realizing that you're a guardian, you're a steward of what you have. Just changing that whole mindset of saying, God, this is for you. Maybe that's you. You need to just say, God, I've I've been thinking about all of this all wrong. Please help me. Maybe it's something that Josh has just challenged us on so helpfully word that said, God will make pillars of those who love him. That's for some of you here to realize that God's wanting to do that, to make you someone who holds things up for others because of the love that you have for him. That's just that's just gonna grab you now as a godly ambition. You're like, oh, I'm not that bright. And we've just you've just heard it's not about that, it's about loving God. If that just Grips your heart. Why don't you? You can tell God that. And say, Lord, I think I'd like. I would like to do that. Would you help me to do that? Maybe it's just that sense of that. What am I letting into my mind? What am I putting in front of my eyes? Into my ears? What are the, 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 what are the environments in which I'm swimming in? Which I'm living in? Maybe you just need your need your mind cleansing, and you need some new habits that are going to bring good godly life into you. Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's something else. Right now, will not you say to God, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind. And Jesus, because you love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that's possible. Isn't that great? Isn't it good just to rest in that? That he has done this for us. Now, whatever it is, that step, you think, I, got, I need to take that step. I need to realize that. I need to start doing this. I need to stop doing that. I need to take hold of what Christ took hold of me for. Just ask him, just in your own words now, just ask him, Lord, would you help me to do that, please? Lord God, we just thank you so much for speaking to us this evening. How we love your kindness to us and your goodness to us and just how you you're so rich, Lord. Just the three short talks, and there's loads that we want to learn from, loads we want to be inspired by. So much. Thank you for dealing with us one thing at a time. Thank you for being so gracious to us, so patient with us. But let each one of us take something away from tonight and work it, work it in us, Holy Spirit. May it do us good. Make our heart more wholly yours. One day our hearts will be fully yours. But today, God, help us to become more yours. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.